What is happening to supermarket prices? Do own label brands taste good? What's the best supermarket? What's the worst? How do I spend less on my weekly shop? Are there ways I can shop smarter? Should I just be growing my own veg? How do I even grow veg? <sighs> Wine to pair with spag ball? When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Witch Shorts podcast. I'm Rob Lilly. Now, a big welcome if you're a new listener, or welcome back if you're a regular here on the podcast. If you are, then can I ask you to do something for me? Can you share this podcast with just one other person, anyone you can think of, that would find this interesting? Thank you. Now today, we're heading outside after recent research found busy roads are having a negative impact on the local bee population. So as such, we're asking whether you can attract more bees to your garden. To read us this article, originally written by Dr Ken Thompson, I'll hand you over to Ian Aikman. Why did the bee cross the road? Sorry, I I couldn't resist, but I do want to talk about roads and wildlife. The world has an awful lot of roads, about 32 million kilometres already, and we keep building more. Evidence of the negative effect of roads on vertebrates, such as hedgehogs, is familiar to all of us. You might think flying animals would be less bothered, but in fact several bat species are badly affected by roads. Yet apart from a couple of old studies on butterflies, no one has taken a proper look at the effect on insects, or specifically on bees. Until now. Research published in the Journal of Applied Ecology has shown how roads affect the willingness of bees to travel between flowers. They placed pots of two American native plants, Coreopsis verticillata and Monada fistulosa, both widely grown in gardens, at various distances apart, some separated by roads, some not. Flowers on some plants were sprayed with fluorescent pigment, so they could tell where the bees had been. The results were clear. Plants across a road from a pigment-sprayed plant received significantly less pigment, i.e. fewer bee visits, than plants that were the same distance away but on the same side of the road. The effect of road width was closer too. Very few bees crossed four-lane or five-lane highways. Either bees just don't like crossing roads, or they try to cross, but many don't make it because they're killed or injured by vehicles, or maybe a bit of both. There were noticeable differences between the two plants. Roads had a greater effect on the smaller solitary bees that visited Coreopsis than on the larger honey and bumblebees that visited Monada. Maybe smaller bees are more wary of roads, or more vulnerable to vehicle collisions, as they tend to fly nearer the ground. Or maybe they're more vulnerable to traffic-induced air turbulence. Whatever the reason, it's clear that it doesn't take much to prevent small solitary bees from travelling between different plants. They were even discouraged by narrow lanes used only by cyclists and pedestrians. It's interesting to speculate that a relatively greater ability to cross roads is one of the reasons that several species of bumblebees seem able to thrive in towns and cities. Many solitary bees nest in holes in the ground, and a shortage of suitable nesting sites is often assumed to be their main problem in urban areas. Could all these roads be a problem too? Clearly, there's not much that individual gardeners can do about roads, but it does make you realise that your garden, along with those of your neighbours, really is a kind of island, at least partly isolated from other gardens by surrounding roads. That, in turn, means the bees in your garden, especially the smaller ones, are very much your responsibility. The more you can provide everything they need, in terms of nesting sites and a wide choice of flowers, the happier they'll be. 
You can also improve the quality of your local island by making your boundaries with other gardens as porous as possible for everything from bees to hedgehogs. Research shows that bees find it much easier to get hold of a reliable, consistent supply of pollen and nectar if they have access to several gardens. What else can we do? Well, if we're consulted about the changes to local roads, we can make our feelings clear. Road widening is bad, traffic calming is good. And we can all do our bit to make the roads less hazardous for wildlife by driving less and walking and cycling more. Which is not just better for pollinators, it's better for us too. Finally, you could consider supporting the campaign by the charity Plant Life to improve the management of road verges for wildlife and especially for pollinators. So what are the other things we should be looking for in high summer? Gardens are paradise for hoverflies, lots of nectar and pollen for the adults, and lots of aphids for the larvae of the many species that eat them. But larval holophiles have different ways of making a living. For example, the larvae of the drone fly, known as rat-tailed maggots, live in decaying organic matter. In fact, the drone fly, which is a honeybee mimic, is probably the answer to Samson's riddle in the Book of Judges in the Old Testament, famously still found today on tins of Lyle's golden syrup. Samson was attacked by a lion, which he killed. Later, we are told, he finds that bees have built a hive within its carcass, and he takes some honey to his family and friends. At a feast, he asks them to guess how he came by the honey, presenting them with the poser, and he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Entomologists have generally assumed that the riddle arises from the misidentification of drone flies, which might breed in a rotting carcass, as honeybees, although we're still left guessing as to where the honey came from. But the larvae of the largest and most startling British hoverfly, the hornet hoverfly, live in the nests of social wasps, where they are scavengers and perhaps occasionally also predators. The hornet hoverfly really is an excellent hornet mimic. It often causes panic when first encountered, but like all other hoverflies, is completely harmless. The hornet hoverfly appears to be a beneficiary of climate change. During the 1940s and 1950s, it became established in and around London, a few coastal localities in southern England, and in the Bristol area. However, in the past 20 years, its range has expanded rapidly, and it's now relatively common, almost always in gardens, throughout lowland England and Wales. It's still very rare in Scotland, so if you find one there, the Hoverfly recording scheme would love to hear from you. Go to hoverfly.uk slash hrs. Thank you so much to Ian for taking us through that piece, and to Dr Ken Thompson too, the author of this article which was originally written for the July and August issue of Which Gardening magazine. Remember you can find more articles you'll find useful every day on everything from money and technology to home and garden advice by signing up to one of our many free email newsletters. And you can do that at which.co.uk forward slash newsletters. We'll be back next week for another episode of Which Shorts and thanks for listening. Which Shorts was produced by me, Rob Lilly, while the exec producer was Angus Farker. Moving house with kids. Moving house checklist. Top packing tips. Do it ourselves or hire movers? Hiya! Things to do in the school holidays. Best solo holidays. When life gives you questions, get answers at witch.co.uk.